Hello and welcome to episode 2000, 2000, 2000 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined by Meg Rally of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. We have at times poked fun at the fetish for round numbers and semi-arbitrary numerical milestones in baseball and in life, and yet we sort of observe it ourselves in that every 500-ish episodes, we celebrate the continued existence of this sport and this show and ourselves by drafting things we like about baseball with three friends. The first of them is podcast co-founder and former co-host Sam Miller, now of the Pebble Hunting Substack. Hello, Sam. Hi, Ben. The second is former co-host and current analyst for the first place Tampa Bay Rays, my analysis suggests that they're having an excellent season so far. Jeff Sullivan. Hello, Jeff. I've been and Meg. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been introduced. <laughs> wow. Snubbing Sam already and also snubbing the third friend and the fifth beetle of Effectively Wild, Grant Bisbury of The Athletic. Hello, Grant. I don't know whether you're George Martin or Billy Preston or... Stu Sutcliffe or someone else, but we're happy to have you regardless. Uh, I'll go with Billy Preston because if you saw that that uh, Peter Jackson documentary, he when he came in, everyone else stopped bickering. Like he he was a yep. calming presence. So that's yep. what I am. I'm just you guys. If I'm not here, you guys are just sniping at each other. Just Grant tickling the keys over there, <laughs> tickling the old <laughs> pearls. So we still like baseball. And the show and each other enough to continue this tradition. So here we are. <laughs> I love the, uh, the enough edition there. Like, how much, you know, enough, enough. Well, at first I wondered. I mean, we've already drafted several things we like about baseball. So I wondered whether I had exhausted my resource, my well of things that I liked about baseball. But I discovered that, no, there are still some things that I like that we have not drafted yet. They may have come up at some point in the previous 1999 episodes because I think I've expressed every thought that I have ever had or will have in my head at some point <laughs> during the run of this podcast. And probably I'm just repeating myself at this point. So thanks, everyone, for sticking around. But yeah, still some stuff I like about this silly sport. And I hope the same is true of all of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, of course, of course. So much love to give. <laughs> the, the love you take is equal to, I guess that wasn't a Billy Preston lyric, but he, he was around perhaps. Anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't think he was around. But I no, I mean, wrong, that was a, wrong a different, wrong different album. Session. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, so we're all here and we're doing the same thing that we've done before. So that's fun. I guess I could maybe quickly recap what has been drafted before. Just a rapid fire, just read off the Effectively Wild wiki. I was just reading some of these things and some of them, I don't know what they were. I, just based on the description on the wiki, I really, I couldn't tell you what exactly it is, but maybe you'll all recall or the listeners will. So if you don't want to be spoiled about episode 500, 996, and 1500, skip ahead a minute. Or just go back and listen to them first. But how much does it bother you that it was nine ninety six? It does actually. <laughs> I don't. Sam, do you remember why yeah. it was nine? Why was it nine ninety six? Well, for two reasons. One is that we had a uh, 
pre-existing date with Kevin Goldstein, who vowed to right. only appear once we got to episode 1,000. Uh, <laughs> and two is that episode 1,000 was my my farewell. And yeah. so we, um, we didn't, at, at a certain point, I don't know, roughly around episode 997, you decided it wasn't going to be the show's farewell. But up yeah. to that point, we thought that that was going to be the end of it. And so I think that it uh, made sense to squeeze a few hits into the final week. Mm, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I don't know who in their right mind does 2000 episodes of a podcast, but I'm, I'm glad that it's still going so that we can convene again today. I so was, I was going to ask if you <laughs> actually wish it had ended with Sam's departure. <laughs> We've had some good times in the past uh, several years. <laughs> would you say enough? <laughs> yeah, I would say enough good times that, that I'm pleased that it, it didn't end there. So here's what was drafted. Here's here's what Sam has drafted in the past. Babe Ruth and Ernie Shore. I guess specifically the the Ernie Shore relieving Babe Ruth and and pitching a no hitter. No, it was from that uh, point, it or? was it was Ernie Shore as um uh, uh oh the oh, Simpsons. Uh, yeah. What what is that guy's name? Why am I blanking uh, on it? Grant, you know <laughs> uh, Simpson stuff. Uh, um, you know <laughs> the one where Homer's got the. The coworker and everything goes wrong. Oh, Frank for Grimes. The, yeah, yes. exactly. So Ernie Shore, Shore is as Frank Grimes. Right, right. And then radio commercials during baseball broadcasts, which was a frequent topic during your days co-hosting this podcast. GMs making predictions, which was also a frequent topic of the podcast and your writing. The worst ever sacrifice bunt. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> I love That's a great pick. Let's just, let's just do it again. I don't remember what the worst ever sacrifice but was. So Mar- just... uh, Mark Wollers had like a historic case of the yips, and in the middle of it, Doug Glanville bunted on 2-0. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like he, Mark Wollers had thrown like 26 balls in a row, and then Doug Glanville just <laughs> bunted on 2-0 to sacrifice a guy over. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Kemp's rap album. Oh, still, still want to hear it. Classic. <laughs> He's still in the studio. Phil Negro being old and specifically yeah. looking old on his baseball <laughs> cards. Willie Mays's house party. Oh, great one. That's a good one. I, I don't recall <laughs> what that was. You just was. have neighborhood kids over. You just, yeah, you know, l- l- like a hundred of them. Willies. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. That came up in the documentary, I think, that we saw recently. Bo Jackson's 1990 score baseball card number 697. Worth $8. Worth a maximum of $8, <laughs> which and was what made that one great. The 1989 to 1991 amateur drafts of the Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Still waiting on those drafts to pan out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Grant's picks. The other Ryan Braun. Oh. I wonder what he's up to these days. <laughs> um, Stupid pick. <laughs> when? <laughs> wow. That was that was your first ever pick too. You had everything on the board. Everything about baseball was except, on the board at that except point. Except Babe Ruth. Except yeah. <laughs> Tell me that I didn't open my laptop right before the podcast. You know, like oh was, crap, effectively wild. Uh, <laughs> It was a slight reach at number one overall, all time, (laughs) I think. I mean, it probably would have fallen to the second round, I think. Sweet Christmas. Can't can't take any chances. When baseball players are mentioned in rap or hip-hop lyrics. Oh, wait, uh, Randy Velarde? Yeah. (laughs) Was that? Yeah, Randy Velarde. 
<laughs> Action Bronson had a Randy Velarde drop. <laughs> Searching for players with dirty words in their name on baseball reference. In it, like like that's like the fourth through seventh letters. Well like it's embedded I mean, within the name. More like dick hurts, but like, you know. Okay. Also, yeah. yeah. I, I will accept like a, a, a I don't know, uh Mendic would also work. So yeah. <laughs> Jeff, has your occasional Twitter thread competition with John Boyce of Silly Baseball Names been going on longer than this podcast has, or not quite as long? I don't know, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, it's been going on for a long time. I always enjoy it when, when that's revived. The sadness of undoing your rally caps. That's the best pick anybody yeah, has made really in good this one. entire. Yeah, really good. Yeah. That, that would be my first pick if we were drafting picks. This were yeah, a redraft. If you were drafting the picks that were drafted. <laughs> <laughs> Home run reactions from pitchers. Mm-hmm. How talented umpires are. Searching baseball reference for player names from the 1904 season specifically. Going back to the well. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that Paul Giamatti is the son of former MLB commissioner A. Bartlett Giamatti. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Jeff's picks probably has the the highest uh, ratio of I don't know what that was of anyone's probably. (laughs) And I'm sure has a high ratio for Jeff not knowing what it was, but... Petco Park scoreboard faces in mm. 2005 or 2006. Jeff mm. wasn't sure which one. <laughs> I still see him. <laughs> Reactive player expressions. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know, but it, it feels like that might have been like a pitcher home run reactions, which feels like I was double drafted. Yeah, Grant took that already. But anyway, yeah. John Allrude's well, already. Tra- I believe this is the first episode. Yeah. Oh, maybe so. Okay, so maybe Grant was. Uh, yeah. Huh. John Allrude's tree battle with neighbor. <laughs> That's my second overall pick. If that we're was a good one. <laughs> picking. Yeah, yeah. it was again. like a, a a tree was obscuring John Allrude's view, or vice yeah. versa, or something. Yeah, yeah. property right. dispute. The Baltimore Orioles offseason rumor mill, which is no more interesting now than it was many years ago when you drafted that, probably. I feel like now they've stopped being connected to guys in the first place. Yeah, right. Well, they, they have good players now, but also when there are rumors about someone they might be interested in, it's still not that interesting. Fernando Rodney, just just Fernando Rodney, Bill Bergen. <laughs> I know you loved Bill Bergen and his offensive ineptitude. This one I recall feeling hopeful about a team in spring slash until they lose their first game, which I remember because Sam mocked your your mockish sentimentality because you were working with the Rays. And I think he he suggested that next you were gonna draft the green of the grass and the crack of the bat. But it's uh, very relevant that you took that then because it took a really long time for the Rays to lose their first game this year. So I guess you got to feel hopeful for a long time. You probably still feel hopeful now that they're a mere 21 and five. No, it got weird. Uh, (laughs) After a little bit, you kind of you start like rooting for that first loss because like it started to feel unpleasant (laughs) because like the pressure was too high for games against shitty teams in April. You're just (laughs) like. Kind of, you forget what it, the the first loss was was an unpleasant experience, but I felt a lot better after that than I did like when we were thirteen and zero. If that makes, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I'm glad that we lost. Yeah. Well, you know you're going to lose eventually, so I guess you. you I didn't. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, your your next pick was the unsolvability of baseball, and clearly the Rays have solved it at this point. So I guess that pick no longer applies. And fan understanding of managers. Mm, that's a very mm-hmm. good one. All right. I drafted pitch effects, different field dimensions, which is something I still enjoy. Platoons, players being afraid of weather, pitchers' bodies when they're throwing, which is not something I like at all, actually. It disgusts me. I don't know why I drafted that as something I liked. Mike Trout, I guess that's a, I can't, that's a gimme. That should have been like the, the free space on the bingo card in this draft. Quad A players, first baseman doing the splits, and incorrect and exaggerated appraisals of player value in the pre-war era. One of my favorite things about baseball. Meg, who joined for this exercise in episode 1500, drafted baseball scandal names involving horniness. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know exactly what that means, but... The banging I'm, scheme, I, Ben. It means the banging uh, scheme. Mer- Merkel's boner. Oh, okay. Snodgrass's muff and Yeah, and so like, forth. come on. Okay, yeah. Come well, on. That, that foreshadowed much of our recent content on this podcast. Yeah, get, get your head in the game, Ben. <laughs> Goof-based walk-offs. I don't remember what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Fans misjudging foul balls. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> when pitchers figure it out, yeah. How many and picks, wait, how many picks did I don't, you get? I was this just was a question that we had before recording because, you know, <laughs> I, I, my my MO for drafts is like I do some prep and then I panic and I'm like, ah, I don't know what my last couple picks will be. And so I said to Ben before we got on, I was like, I only have two things. And then later <laughs> it was like, I have 11. You had 11 next year. <laughs> you're like the 1989 to 1991 Astros of drafting. <laughs> 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 yeah. You drafted when pitchers figured it out and the friends we met along the way. I've, I think that we maybe only did three and then you were like, who has stuff left? And I was like, okay. let me, because like a, a lightning round. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, I came along late. So I had, I had space to fill on the card. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So we've got some brand new ones here. I think at least hopefully most of us do. Jeff's had a busy week just winning every baseball game. So Meg has uh, enough picks to go around. She yeah, can pitch extras. draft for Jeff or he can just draft. No, I'm going first. Okay. First pick. Pitch clock. All right. Second, you're on the board. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves the pitch clock. Do, do you think that uh, that front office people are high on the list of like people who, who value the pitch clock. Just, I mean, you work remotely, so you don't have to be in the office necessarily during games, but, but I would imagine that people who do, it's probably like they love the pitch clock even more than say, I love the pitch clock. Of course. Highest on the list, but you know what? (laughs) Who cares? I only care about me. Pitch clock. We haven't had a game over three hours yet. Pitch clock. (laughs) Best thing about baseball. Hands down. Zero question. I told it's you. like you know like in a in a like a sitcom or whatever the comedy like the comedy writers are trying to like write for each other just trying to make each other laugh you know yeah. and never mind the audience yeah forget about the fans pitch clock it's the best we did it for us and it's awesome <laughs> I, I think the fans like it too they didn't know right. that they would necessarily but it turns out it's just great so yeah all right well we don't have to decide who's going to go first because uh, jeff just jumped the gun and selected the pitch clock so the pitch clock is now off the board apologies to anyone who had pitch clock on their list uh who wants to go next uh, <laughs> grant do you have any any alternate 
player names that you you want to get out there before anyone else steals them? <clears throat> Searching for names on Baseball Reference, but this time with a twist. No. Um, let's see. I I am really into the idea of discovering that a celebrity played in the minor leagues in the past mm. and like I'm, I'm running out of them, but there's always a new one because I was going to draft how Getty Lee donated his collection of autographed Negro league baseballs to the Negro league, uh, hall of fame. And that's just cool as heck. He had this big collection. He donated to the museum. It's there as the Getty Lee collection. Um, and I, I just think that's fascinating, but as I was about to, uh, as I was doing my draft prep work, right in the middle was this the signature of Charlie Pride, who's a country mm. music legend, yeah. uh, former part owner of the Rangers. I knew that. I knew he had a connection to the Rangers. I didn't know he actually played in the minor leagues. I love that stuff. Like Randy Macho Man Savage. Yeah, I, I right. loved when I first found out about that. Chuck Connors, the Rifleman. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just every the so guy often. The who plays Luke on Gilmore Girls. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Stuff like that. Like there's a Hall of Fame football player, uh, Dion Sanders, who's like, he was a college coach. He actually played baseball. Stuff like that. Like I love that sort of stuff. So I will take uh, surprising celebrity baseball connections. Yeah. Chuck Connors played in the big leagues, right? But, it, but did he really? Yeah, I think so. John Elway is a good one, right? Sure. Does it, do you like the the all other sport star, or is this mostly people who are not famous for for athletics? No, I'll take that. You know, I'll take that. Uh, uh, the Giants drafted Golden Tate, um, former uh, Seahawks receiver. Uh, yeah. He had no interest in playing baseball, really, but the Giants drafted him for you know gets and jiggles or whatever. So that is that's totally acceptable. Um, I'll I'll even go a step further and say you know uh, George W. Bush perhaps becoming the uh, commissioner of baseball at one point and the the funny little uh, pathways that this world might have taken if that were the case. Uh, I'm uh, I'm well versed in all this stuff. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, Sam, you want to go? Let's see. I'm going to take when it's, you know, in between innings and the pitcher's warming up. I'm going to take the first baseman rolling ground balls to the other infielders, <laughs> which is just strikes me as not suitable to their skill level, <laughs> if that makes sense. These are baseball players who are uh, obviously have fielded hundreds of thousands of ground balls that were actually hit to them from the correct uh, angle. And I just feel like getting a slow roller thrown to you by the first baseman doesn't really prepare you for anything. Uh, and yet they they do it. They do it. It's part of the job. So they show up. They feel the slow roller thrown across the infield from the wrong angle to them. And they uh, use two hands, then they throw it back. It, it reminds me of like if, if every time I sat down to write an article, uh, I had to first uh, take out one of those like kindergarten sheets of paper with like the dotted line and like work on my letters. <laughs> and I had to do it every time, like get up for lunch, come back to the article, <laughs> work on your letters first. Uh, so I don't know why they do it. Part of it must be for the spectator experience, right? Like the the entertainment value. You I think mean, so? I don't not know. a lot of entertainment value, but it, it's like the hold music of baseball games, kind yeah. of. It's like, you know, it's not 
good. It's not entertaining. And yet, if it were just silence, you would wonder, am I still on? You know, so you have to have something, right? And and maybe you might even find yourself tapping your foot from time to time and surprise yourself. So if they were just standing out there doing absolutely yeah. nothing, that would be awkward, right? Not just because we're used to them doing something, but also like they they wouldn't know what to do with their hands. This is something that they do with their hands. Yeah, they could just go out later. Uh, I, I mean, I think that. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel the same about the outfielders who, like, the outfielder warming up with the with the with the bat boy, who's you know, like yeah. the, the left fielder warming up with the bat boy who's standing in foul territory? Is that for show? Well, I don't know. They at least they get some distance. On, they're not like gunning it, but they're at least throwing a distance. And I, I like that because I always think how cool a job that would be, right? To to be the kid out there who gets to warm up the outfielder. So I kind of like that they do that. But whether there's any actual utility to it, I doubt it. <laughs> but no one would notice if outfielders just stood out there. So they don't really have to do anything. They just yeah. do anyway. I will say that I have a different relationship with this tradition because uh, I'm coaching eight and nine-year-old girls in softball. And part of my duties is to be the first base coach. And I'm out there and I'm keeping score and I'm I'm, coaching the team or whatever. And the other team will be in the field. They're doing this. They're rolling the Mm. ball to each other and I'm not paying attention. And that's bad because this is not uh, like a given that they're going to pick up the ball and throw it to their target. The first baseman might not even lift their glove up because they're distracted or bored or they just don't feel like it um the player throwing might overthrow the the first baseman and hit me in the head which has happened so like i have a very different relationship to where it's it's adventure it's chaos in a great way it's like what's going to happen next and i i really appreciate that have you, have you gotten have you gotten bonked grant have you gotten bonked in the head or hit in the beans i've gotten bonked i've I've gotten no, not in the not in the veins, not in the means. I have gotten hit in the chest with an aluminum bat. Um, it's it's a war zone out there, man. It's a war zone. Probably yeah, not with, great bat speed though at that level. <laughs> the the youth infield warm up. True that it, it's true that that was a learning experience because that was how they would. That's how your coach would basically teach you always be paying attention because mm-hmm. someone would get bonked on those uh, every year. The, there'd be wild throws; they wouldn't get caught. Someone would get hit. And then your coach would, ye- you know, yell at the, the, the kid on the ground uh, for not paying attention. And that's how you learn you have to pay attention. Hmm. You learn that lesson on your way to the emergency room. You have to pay attention. <laughs> not just in sports, but in life, Sam. I knocked a kid's teeth out one time uh, when I w- we were warming up. And I don't know, he, he just got like someone, he thought he heard someone say his name and he looked over oh, right no. as my warm-up throw was coming at him, hit him in the mouth knocked his teeth out he had to go get you know repairs done and i swear to you like as he was leaving the field the coach i'm not naming names here i really want to name names here but the coach goes that's why you have to pay attention guys (laughs) it's like the arrested development (laughs) that's why that's why you have to yeah i wonder if part of it is eyewash also just you know wanting to appear to be giving effort because you're right they could just sit in the dugout until it's time to play and that's if if Zach Greinke had gotten his wish and were a shortstop or whatever, he probably would do that, right? That's something he would do because <laughs> he will report like the last possible date for spring training, right? Because he will not show up early. He'll show up at the mandatory time. And he did that at some point. He's like, I didn't even know we could show up this late. This is great. <laughs> so <laughs> if he were a position player, he'd probably be coming out there like when the last warm up pitch was being thrown. But anyone else, if they did that, 
they'd look like they weren't putting the proper effort out there. So maybe it's partly just like we have to appear to be practicing and, and honing our craft at all times. I think you got it early. Like it's it's fundamentally just make work because it's just really uncomfortable to be standing in front of anywhere between ten and forty five thousand people just doing nothing. You know, right. like if you're yeah. just like standing in a corner, you would put your hands in your pockets, kind of look around, you kind of like try to look busy. It's why we all look at our phones all the time if we don't have anything to do. Like if you have a bunch of guys just out there standing while like the pitcher and catcher are actually doing something, they would feel really, really uncomfortable. So they're just doing something. It's it's effectively eyewash, but it's not so it looks like they they're like working hard. It's so that it looks like they're anything. Yeah. And I, I will say that one thing that we're overlooking here is that it's neat to have a ball rolling towards you to scoop it up and then to throw that ball. Like, that's just neat. You think they still get a thrill? Yeah, it's neat. It's Yeah, how do you not just like doing that every time? You're throwing, a, throwing mm-hmm. the danged horse hide around. You think that they don't just throw it to the first baseman thinking, like, he, there's no way he's going to do it again. And then it comes back and they're like, yeah, I don't think he's good. <laughs> when I, uh, so uh, somewhat related to this, I, I wrote uh, a couple, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago about the around the horn, the tradition of the around the horn. And um, what uh, Paul Dixon suggested in the, uh, you know, Dixon baseball dictionary that the around the horn was originated perhaps as, as show, as entertainment, as a way of uh, entertaining the, the uh, fans with your, with your skill. And, uh, I thought like that, this is, that's not my pick, but it's sort of a subset of the pick that, that players still do that. Like they just are. So they just can't stop trying to get praise that they're like, like, look, we can even throw the ball to each other without dropping it. Like check this out. You know, I mean like the things that they do, they're athletes of like, just extreme. I mean, in 1877, when this supposedly was originated, they didn't have gloves. Yeah, and it was hard the, to catch back then. Right, it was, and the, <laughs> the you know, the the ball was misshapen, and they were um, some of them didn't have hands. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, nowadays though, they're like really truly elite, and still they're like throw it and catch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like look how good we are. <laughs> well, you know, they, they had to do that because, like, they didn't have stand-up comedy yet. So how else were they going to be the center of attention for no reason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no PA system. There's no music piped in. There's nothing. So what were you going to do? All right. Meg, you want to pick one off your pile of potential picks here? Sure. So I would like to pick one thing I love about baseball is that it affords a bunch of predominantly straight dudes a chance to be, they just love each other, like in a physically mm. affectionate kind of way. You mm. know, they hug each other, they slap each other on the butt. Sometimes they give each other a little kiss on the cheek. They never kiss on the mouth, <laughs> which, look, again, they don't have to kiss on the mouth if they don't want to. I'm just saying if they decided they wanted to kiss, like really kiss, it'd be fine. Yeah. You know, we would. They could do that instead of throwing grounders to each other that right they could just right the the pitcher and the catcher could warm up and then there could be a different kind of back and forth you know Mm -hmm. so um they don't all get along and sometimes you you're watching a game and you see the guys in the dugout and you can tell like that guy doesn't get along like that guy's not he's not one of the guys you know he's a standoffish sort or he's he's never sitting with that other guy but sometimes you see him and you're like they love each other. You know, they have a love and a friendship that's really nice. Um, sometimes, you know, they like whisper to each other, like dudes telling little secrets, you know, they're doing little gas. So 
I just like that. I like that they, um, that sometimes they want to dance together. What, you know, well, you're all dudes, right? Do you ever go dancing with your guys? You know, do you ever go out dancing? I feel like that's the thing that like some, some men do, but I, I think more men should go dancing with each other. And sometimes these guys, they do, they, they dance together. It's in the context of winning and in the outfield, they do a little circle or whatever, but like they dance together. They're dancing together. So mm. I just, uh, I like, uh, Dudes being bros, you know? So I like baseball. So you drafted camaraderie? Yeah. <laughs> Winter meetings, Jeff. You and I cut a rug. I had a great time. My quads are still sore. Yeah. <laughs> I um I think this is the same topic. So so I hope I'm not um taking it in a different direction. But you know when uh players get to the base, the other team comes over and goes like, Hey, how you doing? Right? Yeah. And that's really I that's kind of a nice, charming yeah. thing. And um, so I watch Mike Trout a lot when I, when I go to an angels game, I just watch what Mike Trout's up to. And I noticed that like he gets to a base and the other team comes over and says, Hey, how you doing? And they, they, you know, have a laugh or whatever. And Mike Trout's like the best player in the world, right? Like, or, you know, more or less one of them certainly. And, and he is the, the, the hero of the generation. And you would think if there was like a normal hierarchical social structure that like you and all of us are are uh, used to in life that maybe maybe Joey Votto could instigate conversation with Mike Trout or like someone who is roughly at his level or maybe is also very good and has more service time or I don't know maybe was a former teammate and also is pretty good that those players could instigate Mike Trout conversation but in fact every single player does yeah no matter where you know who is on the base that he is arriving to the person comes over and says hi to him so i the what made me really notice this was when he got to second base a couple weeks ago and michael chavis walked over and (laughs) i you know michael chavis is younger he's got negative career war he was on a like an also ran team uh he was it was in Trout's home ballpark. Everything was saying like, you don't maybe have the right to go over to the best baseball player in the world and say, Hey, how you doing? But he did. And not only did he do that, he put his hand on Trout's shoulder. He touched the man. Uh, like that to me was really striking just to see how, uh, how open the social, uh, the social networks are just like, it's anything goes. There's like a, a leveling effect on the field. Yeah, all the, the hierarchy breaks down. We're all big leaguers. Yeah, it's radical. Yeah. It reminds me of how I'm on this podcast with you. <laughs> Despite <laughs> never actually being a host of <laughs> <laughs> Not for lack of trying at times. Anyway. Wow, Ben, jeez. <laughs> so I guess I'll go now. Yeah, it's my yeah, turn. Yeah, it's right? your turn. Now that we're all stunned into silence, <laughs> what you just did to Grant, spilling the tea. No, that was a compliment, right? We've 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 had discussions with Grant about being a, a co-host at times, right? If a compliment is in the eye of the beholder. This was not beheld as a compliment. That's like, that's like saying <laughs> like, the pr- a presidential I primary think, is a yeah. compliment. It wasn't this, like he auditioned and we said, eh, nah, not quite. <laughs> 
it, it was, you know, logistical stuff. But didn't he basically? <laughs> I'm the Walter Mondale of Effectively Wild. I get it. I took Minnesota, though. You'll never forget that. I took Minnesota. <laughs> I don't think Ben should get a pick. I think Ben should lose his pick. <laughs> Forfeit. For antisocial behavior. <laughs> I tried to be nice. I just tried to include him. No, I'm giving Ben's pick to Grant. <laughs> I yield my time to Ben. Oh, see, you <laughs> have generous. Nice. Stick with Billy Preston, not Walter Mondale. I, I will say to Meg's point, though, uh, you should not Google Alberto Caspo, Eric Ibar, and Hot Dog. Like, that is definitely not uh, the kind of affection that we're talking about here. Did they Did they? They each start eating, like, from an, one end of the hot dog, and then in the middle they ended up kissing, kind of like in Lady and the Tramp? Not, not even close. <laughs> I wouldn't know because I'm not even going to, you know, Google it. I wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Wasn't there a particularly affectionate hug on the Blue Jays recently, Meg? It was like Dalton Varsho and, and Whit Merrifield, maybe. There was like an extended long hug with eye like contact. A, yeah. It was tender. It was yeah. very tender. It was, I don't, I don't remember who was involved. I just remember the tenderness yeah. where I was like, I they feel were like close I'm to kissing. It felt like. It looked like. Yeah. And again, yep. I just feel like it's important. I'm not saying they have to kiss. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want everyone <laughs> to understand my, and like, remember my like saying yes and having a good time stance. That's my stance on this stuff. But I'm just saying if they, sometimes they look like they really want to kiss and I want them to, to feel like they could kiss if they wanted to kiss, but only if they want to. <sighs> Where's the line, Meg? <laughs> how far how far is fine I, if how far is what cameras are on how yeah. far is okay cameras like, are on they're yeah, celebrating just, just how like, far you just like you know like it could it could it, it, there's room mm-hmm. for more tenderness put it that way okay <laughs> how what how tender is too tender well I, I mean like you know like sam said they could stay in the dugout and then who would know what's going on in there <laughs> Third result for Eric Ibar hot dog in Google is uh, a chat with Sam Miller uh, on baseball <laughs> perspectives. <laughs> Just getting that out there. <laughs> okay. Well, if baseball players were to smooch, I assume that at some point they would hurt themselves doing so because that is my pick, preposterous player injuries. I can't believe none of us has ever taken this. Maybe it was too obvious, but this is just, it's one of the great things about baseball, just all of the the silly injuries that have occurred over the years, some of which are perhaps semi-apocryphal or have been uh, burnished a bit over time or exaggerated, but some of them are legitimate and very silly. And I guess I'm drafting a specific kind of preposterous player injury, not like the ones where they just hurt themselves in a way that, you know, like, like skin is broken because they, they poke themselves with a sharp implement of some sort. Which which happens. I mean, you know, there's like the Adam Eaton stabbing himself as he was trying to open a DVD wrapper with a knife or Spencer Torkelson hurting him, slicing his finger because he was trying to open a can of beans with a wine opener. You know, like <laughs> there are a lot in that genre or who is the the guy with the the air conditioner? Someone, uh, or there's like Roger Craig supposedly cutting himself on his wife's bra which he denied <laughs> and what did she and then, have to say? 
I don't know. How does that even like get out if it doesn't come from Roger Craig or his wife? Right? Like, who was was there? Someone else watching that happen? Anyway, I'm sorry. A wine corkscrew to open a can of beans. Yeah, I think he didn't have a can. Was he draining the can of beans? It was like in spring training and he didn't have a can opener, I think. And he was just using whatever. But it only pokes tiny holes. (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah, that's a good point. Did it like ricochet of this? uh... Is he straining the beans? You can't get the beans out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they were very small beans. Individual beans? He just wants that sweet, sweet nectar. Yeah, Mm. he was using it as a colander kind of. Just a bean by a bean? Should have been a sign of broader approach problems. Mark Smith, I was trying to think. Mark Smith heard himself sticking his hand into an air conditioner to see why it wasn't working. And then <laughs> shortly, he wasn't working. But but that kind of injury is like, it's silly and it's funny, but it's not that surprising, really, because baseball players are mortal. Like, they don't have impenetrable skin. You know, like, if you prick them, do they not bleed? They do. <laughs> they bleed. Like, anyone, if we stabbed ourselves, who has not cut themselves on something at some point, right? So why would that not happen to baseball players, especially like young men who do stupid stuff, like trying to open a can of beans with a, a wine screw? There, I mean, there, there's two male instincts. And one of the, like the, the classic is like, oh, this isn't working. So I'm going to kick it or like hit it. Right. But the other one is, I don't know what's in here. I'm going to put my hand in it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, especially like if you're an athlete and, and you have to use your hands for things, then maybe exercise caution. I do always marvel at, at players continuing periodically to punch things. Punch stuff. So- sometimes with like their primary pitching hand and somehow they don't. And I've advocated just having padded walls everywhere in the vicinity of, of the dugout or the clubhouse or the tunnel, just because it's inevitably going to happen at some point. But really I'm talking about the kind of injury where uh, a baseball player gets hurt doing something that you didn't know could cause harm, not only to like a professional athlete, but to anyone You know, like, I guess a go-to example would be hurting yourself sneezing, right? Which, Mm -hmm. like, a surprisingly high number of players seem to have hurt themselves sneezing. I I guess most famously, Sammy Sosa, right? Like, wrenched his back sneezing. And, like, I've never hurt myself sneezing that I I can recall. You're in your 30s. How have you not hurt yourself sneezing? (laughs) You don't seem like one who sneezes. (laughs) (laughs) i i mute myself when i sneeze on the podcast so perhaps that's uh produced the impression that i never Mm. sneeze there's a there's a wide range of sneeze exertions in the you know in the species like you you're just some (laughs) people are born big sneezers and some people are born i would i would also posit that like baseball players probably select for people who want to be like louder deliberately with their sneezes right they're like trying Mm -hmm. to be more manly about it whatever and Mm -hmm. so i would think that that it only makes sense that there would be a higher incidence of sneeze related muscle strains and sprains. Oh, I think though that I think the injury comes when you try to stifle when you're a big sneezer and you're trying to stifle it, when you're trying to <laughs> restrict it mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. When I you're a temperamentally a big sneezer, but in the moment you become a, a you attempt to be mm-hmm. a tr- not true to your sneeze nature. Can I just say that by the way, every so often I remember I think I remember Jeff Sullivan one time tweeting that he had been under the impression that it was illegal to sneeze while driving. <laughs> and I don't know if I dreamed that. I don't know if I, I feel like every few years I remember it and then find it. And then 
a few years pass and I have to find it again. And recently I went looking for it and I couldn't find it. Jeff, did you at one point in your life think that it was illegal to sneeze while driving? I did. And I can add to the list too, because it should also be illegal to drive west in the 30 minutes before sunset. Yeah, it should be. uh, Similarly, driving east 30 minutes after sunrise should not be allowed. (laughs) Right. Speaking of dreaming, there's the silly baseball player injury involving Glenn Allen Hill dreaming about spiders and then hurting himself stumbling over a glass table or whatever it was. And of, of course, there's the classic like people hurting themselves, ironing themselves, which, you know, John Smoltz uh, continues to strenuously deny ever happened. Some of these I just wonder, like, I guess someone started the rumor because, you know, the player is not going to volunteer this information. I oh, mean, no, you would tell people in your own life that you might not tell a reporter, but you would definitely tell people in your life things that you wouldn't offer to a reporter. And then the people in who you've told yeah. have no reservations about telling a reporter. Right. I think I think a lot of it depends on your baseline level of being charming. Cuz like if you're a charming person who people like and you're like and then this one time I ironed myself, people will be like, "Oh, charming guy." Like, <laughs> of course you did. But if you're not charming, like maybe your name is John Smoltz, you you wouldn't want to tell that story cuz people will be like I believe Mm -hmm. that happened to you in a (laughs) non-charming kind of way. Self-deprecation is one of the most charming qualities. Right. And not everyone knows that, I think. Yeah. uh, Greg Harris supposedly hurt himself flicking a sunflower seed and strained his elbow. Again, some of these, it's like, did he actually strain his elbow doing that? Or did he strain his elbow just, you know, playing baseball? And and that happened to coincide with that. He but, was flicking it? What it, what it, like, what does that mean? How was he, he was flicking it? Like, oh, I, a shell fell on me. I have to flick it off of me? She's like, yeah, flicking and, and spitting. Like, I guess maybe it, <laughs> maybe it fell on him. Maybe he spit it out and it, I don't know. Mm, <laughs> flicking confusing. and spitting and holding <laughs> One specific injury really prompted this, and and it's my number one of all of these. And it happened in 2005, so I've been thinking for weeks or months that I would mention it on the podcast when we got to the Pass Blast for episode 2005, but I can't wait anymore. And it's the the Clint Barmas venison injury. I I don't know whether you all remember this mishap, but 2005, and the best part is not the end. It's it's not the scandal it's the cover-up right i mean it's not the incident but it's <laughs> it's 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 how he attempted to pass it off as something else so it, it came out that clint barmas got a, a hunk of deer meat from his teammate todd helton but initially he said it was a bag of groceries because he he fell when going upstairs carrying the venison and he broke his collarbone and he was he was like, you know, a leading rookie of the year candidate at the time. And so this was sort of a big deal. And so initially he said that he was carrying a bag of groceries and then eventually it came out. He came clean. I don't I don't know why. I don't know what prompted him to, to like whether reporters were digging and, and getting too close to the truth. And he thought I'd better just come out. But I love what he said to the Denver Post, I just didn't think it was right to bring Todd Helton into something like this, he said. (laughs) (laughs) Which which makes it sound like something sordid, you know? Like, I didn't want to tarnish Todd Helton's good name by connecting him to my venison mishap. I I guess he just didn't want fans to blame Todd Helton for, you know, giving the rookie deer meat and causing him to get hurt. Would anyone blame Todd Helton for that? I don't know. He was carrying it upstairs? Did yeah. he illegally hunt the deer? Who keeps a freezer or a refrigerator upstairs? 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but he had to have surgery to repair the collarbone. He had a, a titanium plate and nine screws. And then there was more to the story because Helton said that he and Clint Barmas had been riding ATVs at Helton's ranch. Now, <gasps> here's, the, here's the thing. Helton said the ATV ride had nothing to do with the injury. He said, uh-huh. I, c- I cannot say it strongly enough. Uh-huh. He did not get hurt riding an ATV. So he definitely got hurt riding an ATV. <laughs> I was there. He never left my eyesight the entire time. Except now, for when he went into the ditch on the ATV. <laughs> and again, like, why say this? Yeah. Like, do you no have a guilty conscience? Did someone, was someone sniffing around and, and heard that they actually were riding ATVs and the, it was going to blow up? And he's like, I guess we better get ahead of this. We better fess up to the ATVs because... Because as soon as you volunteer that you were you just happened to be riding ATVs that day, then who's going to believe the venison story? No. So why this is, is this is the not involved in human trafficking T-shirt? Yeah. For you. Yes, exactly. And then the next line of this AP story: Helton said he, Barmus, and rookie teammate Brad Hop were riding about five miles per hour. Five <laughs> miles. Who has ever ridden an no, ATV? Five. That's that's like a brisk walk. Like, why would you get on an ATV and ride it five miles per hour? So again, no one is buying this. This is like, this is like the Jeff Kent. You know, I was washing my car. Excuse, right? right? They're like wearing fezes and like the Shriners <laughs> and following each other around. <laughs> so the story goes: they all got together to ride ATVs five miles per hour together just joyride atvs five miles per hour and then afterward todd helton treated his younger teammates to a dinner that included deer mate deer meat just a veteran move you know and (laughs) and barmas liked the venison so much that helton just gave him a package you know he just he happened to have some venison lying around i guess that's not so surprising for no. a baseball player that's in the, the off season. least surprising part of anything you've Although, said so far yeah this wasn't even the off season this was like june or may or something so i don't know anyway so he had some deer meat and he just gave some t- it's like just party favor just here's a hunk of deer meat and clint barmas was carrying it and then he fell and he got hurt and the ap story says nothing in barmas's contract specifically it prohibits him from riding an ATV. It does say, I I guess nothing prohibited him from carrying (laughs) venison either. And Rockies general manager Dan O'Dowd said he doesn't doubt Barmas's explanation that it was a fall and not the ATV ride that caused the injury. This is one of the greatest character kids we've ever had come through the organization. (laughs) I have no reason to doubt him. It's an unfortunate injury for both him and for us, but he'll get through this. (laughs) So you're just like testifying to his character. It was the deer meat all along. I just, it's my favorite story. And I guess you could say that by volunteering the ATV information, it's like, why would he make that up? Or, Or why would he say that? Unless it was true, unless it was one of these like truth is stranger than fiction sort of stories, because why again, why say it? Because as soon as you say it, no one's going to believe the venison story. So the the most plausible thing about it is that like he wouldn't have even mentioned that if it was the ATVs, he would have tried to hide that the way that he tried to turn the venison into a bag of groceries, which I guess technically, I mean, a hunk of venison is I, I don't know if it was in a bag but it's it's groceries do you think he had just like loose meats <laughs> I, mean, I don't know just, just like, handing him deer I mean, that would maybe explain why you fell down if you were just like slip yeah. sliding with a bunch of loose meats 
Right. It's technically not untrue when he called it groceries, I would say. I mean, right. it, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's my favorite baseball entry of all time. And really, it's about the explanation and all the, the circumstances surrounding it, not so much the, the falling on the stairs, which anyone could do, although not necessarily while holding venison. Which Yeah, what's special think. about that? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> ben, Ben, if this had been a stat blast, what were you going to query? It <laughs> <laughs> no, was not going to be a stat blast. It was going to be a past blast where, where we talk about something that happened in the year that corresponds to the episode number. So I was going to reminisce about Clint Barmas. I don't know what I could stat blast about this other than the fact that Clint Barmas was not really the same player post-Venice. <laughs> I mean, I guess years later he had he had a decent season in there, but I'm not, I'm not sure he was ever the same. Oh, dear. Grant, you beat me to the joke. I'm so mad. <laughs> yeah. ah. All right. I can, I I think that uh, at one point I uh, I very 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 briefly had an idea for an article, which was the most aggregated baseball topic ideas or whatever. Like I don't know how you mm. would put this, but I yeah. this was based on my uh, conclusion that nothing gets aggregated more than weird baseball injuries. That like yes. if you want to live forever. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, swallow a dime and have to miss a weekend series. Like, <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, you think Joel Zumaya, what do you think? Guitar Absolutely. hero. Guitar yeah. hero. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it, it, even if you were a pretty good player for a while, you're forever associated with the weird injury that you had. All right. Jeff, uh, do you want to just draft the pitch clock again, or do you have any others? <laughs> no, I mean, no, I'm going to draft Rob Manfred because he's the commissioner who's presided over the game while they've implemented the pitch clock. So I think next up. Uh, vultured, vultured Rob Manfred from I was going to take him next. Darn. Uh. Ah, okay. Great pick. Great pick. Okay. Grant? Uh, let's see. I have teams like expansion teams or teams that are looking for a change and they uh, want to change or get a franchise name and they open it up to like a poll mm. or fan voting. That is just outstanding because you will get uh, the eventual winner, yeah. but then you will get very bad suggestions. Uh, the When the Mets McBoat uh, decided to open for baseball. You, <laughs> right. They they opened up uh, like for a fan poll in, in the, the New York Dinosaurs. It's like, all right, that's not very good. But then someone said the Nibs, the NYBS, and that stood for New York Boroughs, the Nibs. <laughs> okay. And then there was the BCBs, the New York BCBs. Someone from Ohio uh, submitted that. It stood for Big City Boys. <laughs> um, oh, that's, that is precious. The Big City Boys? Well, no, the BCBs. That's a great everything. That's a great yeah. name for an anything. Oh, The best one that they didn't use was the New York Boroughs, as in the animal, but it's a play on words. Right. Like, that actually rules. Yeah. That actually, that rules. Um, one of my favorites is that the Marlins was a fan who chose that. And okay, like Marlins, okay, not, not a bad one, not a bad one. But she submitted 39 <laughs> other names. She spammed the contest. And she also submitted the Beachers, the Magnets, the Maniacs, the Mackerels, the Florida Muscle. And my favorite is the Miami Renegades. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Like Everglades, but Renegades instead. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Everglades and Renegades, yeah, so it's mushed. the Renegades. No, that's because the the Miami Rena Blades were the name of their inland hockey team that played on ESPN <laughs> two in the mid nineties. <laughs> Jeff, are you enjoying Any- hockey? Not anymore. Mm. No, my team's not in the playoffs again. Hmm. Yeah, so I get to turn it off. I hope the Leafs nice. lose though. Go Tampa. <laughs> Tampa. I root for Tampa now. Mm. More disrespecting Grant in this podcast. Sorry. He's, mid, he's mid-pick. We're changing sorry, sports. Rude. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the Toronto Metronomes. Gnomes, G-N-O-M-E-S. So like city gnomes? <laughs> but the Metro-Gnomes was an actual suggestion. Yeah. The t- Toronto Fiddle Faddles. The Toronto <laughs> Sat yeah, lots going on. I did. I do not take a. Actually, I didn't take offense to Ben's thing. I didn't take offense to Meg's thing. Aww. Like you guys are trying to start a fight. <laughs> I'm okay. These are my. These are my baseball friends. I, I, oh. It might be that you're conditioned to being walked upon. <laughs> <laughs> Aww, I'm sorry. Um, no, I was only, listen, I was uh, like 12 years old when I started high school and I was about four foot one with bottle cap glasses. Like nothing can hurt me. <laughs> I like, no, I was, I've been, oh God. I'm a big city boy. Back. How can you be mad at me? <laughs> big city boys. Oh. BCB. <laughs> Uh, I mean, if you want a team that kisses. Yeah, yeah. I bet the big city boys would kiss. Sleeveless Aww. jerseys and shit. They'd be like all, they'd be so tendy with each other. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just taking this from an article I actually wrote. Um, so I'm, I'm plagiarizing myself, but I do want to point out that one of the suggestions for the Seattle Mariners, mm-hmm. uh, a freelance art company, submitted a package with sketches for the team name. The team name was the Seattle Strokers. And one of the sketches <laughs> included a flasher. Honest hand, hand to go, yeah, hand, you know, like a, a man dressed only in a raincoat. Uh, that was like the logo they submitted, the, that actual submission. Closed raincoat? I would uh, yeah. certainly hope so, but they didn't put that in the AP article. It's like you're seeing him from behind and he's like looking over his shoulder like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> this is, this is good. Do flashers stroke? Oh, boy. Yeah, no. some do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Sounds like you're from experience. Not no, of, of no, being no. one, but of witnessing no, one. No, yeah. no. Anyway. Well, this this restored my my faith in in weird team names that has been robbed by the like lab grown minor league team names the like yeah the intentionally quirky ones that are like yep. yeah those are the worst you know yeah. especially because like people who don't know that there's just like a antiseptic scientific let's coin the weirdest sounding name that we could come up with it works on them and they're like oh the the trash pandas oh that's so cute but it's so standardized it's uh, yeah. there's no there's no spontaneity whatsoever in it it is designed and calculated to elicit that reaction i will say that i Flying squirrels hat, and I also uh, just got a, a Eugene exploding whales hat, uh-huh. um, and I'm very proud of it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, th- that one, yeah, I mean, at least it fits. There's a reason for that one, at least. Yeah, I feel like we're reliving the um, uh, uh, over-the-top ballpark food craze of like 2013. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right, Sam. I'm gonna take error cards, uh, mm. and specifically the Dale Murphy reverse negative. In 1989, 1989's Upper Deck set, 
which is basically this um, Dale Murphy card. He's it's a plain card of Dale Murphy, you know, staring at the camera with his bat over his right shoulder. Uh, and uh, that card was worth like 12 cents. But then due to a production error, some of the cards had the bat over his left shoulder. And so it was worth $150. <laughs> and I, I mean, growing up as a, as a kid, baseball card collecting was, was kind of how I learned capitalism and how I learned about economic forces. And I feel like the error card was really how I learned about like just how arbitrary and absurd money is as a concept because <laughs> these are completely worthless cards and then you you just break them slightly and they become like desirable uh because i don't know uh there was a pat sheridan card nothing ruined your day more than getting a pat sheridan card in a pack of baseball cards but there were some of them the position where it says outfield uh, I kind of got cut off a little. So that card was worth $7. <laughs> it was the fourth most valuable card you could get in 1989. Like you could go to a card shop and buy every pack of every card that they sold. And the most valuable card you could get was the Griffey upper deck. And the second most mm-hmm. valuable card was the Dale Murphy reverse negative. And the third most valuable was I think the John Smoltz rookie card. And the fourth most valuable was Pat Sheridan with a smudge. And like we just accepted that. Like we lived that lifestyle, like looking at cards and going, is that an air? Is it more importantly, is it an air they corrected? And it's nuts. It was really absurd. I did not uh, rebel at that time, but I think as the years passed, uh, this, this kind of resistance was, was always in me. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for the Dale Murphy reverse negative for teaching me lessons about how like basically the rules are just sent down from above. They don't make sense and you, uh, have to play along and that's, that's what the economy is. Yeah. I will just get ahead of the story before it comes out in, in, uh, the New Yorker. (laughs) Uh, but I might have in 1989, the upper deck, you could actually erase on the upper deck cards, you could erase the names of the players and and whatever text was on there with just any old pencil eraser. You could just erase it, and it, it took it right off. And I might have, I might have traded some cards <laughs> that I fraudulently presented <gasps> as error cards Oof. for better cards. Oh. Uh, and then I was maybe, perhaps, uh, forced to give them back once the parents convened <laughs> and my fraud was discovered. Wow. Uh, yeah, I would like to say uh, I'm sorry to, to, to Henry um, about that. Well, the wow. crazy, you know, the crazy thing is that, like, there's nothing valuable about the actual error cards except that they're slightly rarer. And by that logic, a card that has been defaced by Grant Brisby, that's a one of a kind. Like there's only yes. one in the whole world. It, that's what I'm saying. With the right, you know, if you could get that in Beckett Baseball Monthly's ear, like that could be a subset. Like the Grant Brisby graffiti cards could be like a ultra rare subset. You you get like one every 7,000 packs. That They'd be super valuable. I remember about gosh am i gonna get this story right i think i am there was a pete rose card that was very uh quite valuable early in the junk wax era people started counterfeiting these cards and uh they got arrested for counterfeiting the cards and they went to jail and then the counterfeit cards became more valuable than the real ones once they became exposed because they were even rarer so i mean it makes as much sense as anything i mean nothing that i just described about pat sheridan and dale murphy 
makes any sense at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so why not the Grant Brisby Eraser special? Sure. Yeah, yeah I'd love huh. one of those. I would pay a, a premium today for a card that Grant Brisby had ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could send you one. <laughs> I'm just writing out a bunch of spoonerisms. <laughs> oh. I can't believe you volunteered that. That was like Clint Barmas confessing to riding an ATV and and not having regular groceries. That wasn't going to come out if you hadn't brought it up here. I wonder what the, the statute <laughs> yeah. of limitations on that is. But I wish I yeah. could make my products more valuable by making mistakes, just inserting typos or or leaving something in the podcast that that was supposed to be edited out and suddenly it would be more <laughs> worthwhile and collectible. One of one of my favorite baseball cards that I have, and it's like in, you know, I have a very select uh, binder of baseball cards that I actually like and, and still rummage through at some point. And one of them, I got it as a kid. It's a Maury Wills when he's on the Expos. But some kid in the past scratched out <laughs> Expos and wrote Dodgers. <laughs> and I love it. I love it because it's just like this kid was having none of it. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Like, not on the Expos. Dodgers. That's no less and, yeah. convincing than when they used to do the, the airbrushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Grant, this is some kid like this, this card traveled uh you know through several hands before it ended up in years like you don't know the kid who did this you weren't there when it happened this card it's like a form of telepathy this kid managed to to send his thoughts uh to you mm-hmm. absolutely That's really yeah it's cool. it's I yeah. love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I have a picture of it on the internet. I'll put it uh, uh, out there for the for the wiki. Has it been confirmed that baseball card companies ever intentionally inserted error cards, like just to to boost the value to make something more clear? Because that yeah. that was a rumor. It was definitely right? the th- yeah. It's talked about yeah. a lot. I don't you yeah. know if it was ever confirmed. We need a, a whistleblower to come out. Who would regulate yeah. that? I talked to some people when I wrote a, an article about uh, the Bill Ripken card, and I talked to some people who worked in the industry like, come on, you really do you not see that? Come on, come on. And they said, no, you know what? It's plausible. It's plausible that that organically got through. We're busy people, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I still don't buy it. I still don't buy it. <laughs> I would buy it if the, I mean, I would buy a Billy Ripken yeah. card. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Meg. Oh, God, it's my turn again. Wow. (laughs) I like pesky teams. I like pesky teams Mm. or frisky teams. I would like, um, like this year's Diamondbacks are, they're a pesky team, a frisky team. I have a cat being loud on my desk. I'm sorry. Um, you, you're like in a weird position and whose fault is that? But yours, Babs, it's your fault. Not mine. Why are you looking at me like that? Pesky cat. Pesky cat. Pe- no, but th- that's a different kind of pesky. That's like a, hey, I'm trying to record a podcast. Stop it, pesky. And the D-backs are like, a, we're probably not going to win the NL West. That would be wild, but we're going to be a problem for people while we do. And especially if you've had the opportunity to like watch the now pesky team when they were um, embarrassingly bad. And now all of a sudden, like they're, you know, they're kind of on the come up. They're exciting. Uh, they're pesky. You know, they're frisky. They're They're in it. Um, particularly after they get rid of Madison Bumgarner. Like, that's really exciting. I think my cat's about to, like, throw up on the floor, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> She's making throw up on the floor sounds. You okay? Well, Leave it all in, Shane. Don't be like Grant the one time when he did an entire podcast with a poop behind him from his dog because he didn't want to <laughs> pause so to bad. clean the poop up. <laughs> so if your cat does vomit, we can pause the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. She's she's looking. Show must go it's on. Looking, it's looking kind of dicey. She has like a young person in college. I'm either going to be fine or I'm going to throw up all over the place. Look on her face. Anyway, frisky teams. Not like mm-hmm. my potentially ill cat. Um, I think she should say grass. It's fine, you guys. Like cats, fine. No cats were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> okay, but, um, oh, Babs, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, because, you know, there will come a time. They w- there will come a time when the Frisky team becomes like a legitimately good team. And you will look back and you'll be like, I remember when it started to turn around when I knew like, uh, I don't know, they kind of got something here. Mm-hmm. And that's really fun when it happens. I definitely have to mute and like attend to this cat. <laughs> okay, well, while you do that. I will go, I wait, guess. Wait, so, Grant, yeah. wait, hang on, hang on. Grant yeah. has uh, sent you, Ben, the uh, mm-hmm. Maury Wills card. And I just uh, want to note that not only did this person cross out Expos and write Dodgers, but wrote Dodgers in a totally different part of the card. So also redesigned <laughs> the Tops <laughs> card that year. He said, yeah. I do not like the team this player plays on. And I also do not like the layout, the graphic design <laughs> that Tops yeah. used in 19... 19- 74 or whatever i'm gonna i'm fixing it all today (laughs) Uh, okay i will take baseball broadcast directors who i i think are wizards and are largely unsung and uncredited and every now and then i will be exposed to the work that goes into a baseball broadcast and my mind will be blown and this just happened this week because as some of you probably know the the sny broadcast is not only great because of Gary and Keith and Ron, but also because this guy, John DeMarsico, is the director of the SNY Mets broadcast, and he's like a film buff. He studied film like he has his letterbox in his Twitter bio. He's like trying to channel Scorsese and De Palma in the Mets broadcast. So he's like bringing all of this visual inventiveness to these games that almost no one else is doing, right? So they were the ones who who followed Edwin Diaz in with the Timmy Trumpet and the Narco last year, right? And then they've also done things like when the, the pitch clock came in, they they did like a, a superimposed like 24 kind of thing where they showed the pitch clock in the middle of the screen as Max Scherzer and, and Trent Grisham maybe were like facing off and you could see both of them facing off as the clock was counting down and it was very intense. And then they did like a like a kill bill filter on Buck Showalter last year when the Mets get got hit by pitches and, and Buck Showalter would look angry about it. They do like the Tarantino kill bill filter. So they're always experimenting. And they did this thing this week that DeMarsico called the ghost runner. And even though it makes me very upset when people call the zombie runner, the ghost runner, I will allow this, even though there was a physical runner, because what they did is they superimposed a ghostly image of the runner circling the bases, Francisco Lindor had a hit and Brandon Nimmo scored from first. And so as they showed the hit going out into the outfield, they also showed like on the, the left side of the screen, Brandon Nimmo running like this, this ghostly superimposed Brandon Nimmo so that you could actually see where he was on the bases. Cause usually you can't even tell where the runner is. Right. And it was, I've never seen that before on a baseball broadcast. And it was 
new and interesting. And also it it was useful and valuable because I actually got information about the baseball game that I wouldn't have otherwise until you get that final shot where you see, oh, okay, he's going to be out by a mile or he's easily safe. You could actually see that shaping up and it it added so much to the suspense. But there was a video that DeMarsico tweeted like behind the scenes from the control room as this was being planned. Like they had this holstered, obviously. And you could see from his view, they have like eight different camera angles at least on there. And you can hear his voice being like, cut to two, cut to three, cut like every time the camera changes. Two, goodbye. Nope, ready, Ghost Runner. Ghost Runner. Lose it. Three, four, take four. Break one, take one. Eight. Throw the pitch just a feed. Break six, take six. Wide first, eight. Actually pass the hit on eight, Jerry. Three, seven, take seven. Take the relay. Three, six. Red, take six. Ready, wipe red. Swing. And wipe red. Roll. That worked out well. Roll eight is all. It's amazing because usually I watch a baseball broadcast and I don't like I don't really think about the fact that someone is actually orchestrating that just like a movie director does. And and SNY does it in this very cinematic way. But like someone has to call out every single cut. There's so many cuts. I don't know. Like if you could count them, I don't know how many there would be in the course of a single game. But this guy has to be totally plugged in and in the zone and being like, go to this camera, go to this camera, like all those routine angles that I totally take for granted and don't even think about someone actually making a conscious decision to do that. Someone is sitting there just saying, like, go to this camera, go to that camera. And that's incredible. It's like conducting an orchestra or something. The fact that someone is doing that. So every time I get a little glimpse and they pull the curtain back, it just amazes me because I never think that that is happening in the background. And if they screw up for five seconds, it ruins the whole experience. And that's all mm-hmm. we remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, I heard about the Ghost Runner and then I heard you describe it and I still couldn't envision it. And then I just watched it and now I get it. And yeah, what's great about it is that, I mean, baseball has, the problem with filming baseball is that there's so many cuts, you know, like a, yeah. a, football, a football play, hike, and then play happens and then it's over and there's no cut. And so you get to see the whole run or the whole pass or the whole sack. You get to see the whole thing uninterrupted by cuts. But yeah. every baseball player's got these super awkward cuts where they go from center field to then, you know, mm-hmm. high, high dugout camera or whatever. And I would like, there's like three or four different cuts a lot of times, especially if there's a double. Then there might be like six or seven because you're cutting back and forth to the runner. And they are not elegant and they do take you, they actually don't place you in the action very well at all. They, uh, mm-hmm. they can disorient you. And so anytime uh, a production can figure out a way to have one uninterrupted shot of a of a thing happening, either like a home run where they track the home run or a throw, you know, you know, a throw from the outfield or, uh, yeah. whatever it works really well. And this, uh, I, I think you're right. It really, it really does work yeah. very well. No cut. Yeah. You'd think like by this point, they just would have figured out everything when it comes to baseball broadcasts. Like I, I know there are just more and more cameras uh, and angles every year and, and they do that. Sometimes they don't show like the standard from center field angle. They'll show like a shot from like behind the right fielder or something, just, you know, trying to, to mess with your expectations a little and show you a different angle. And it's, it's just really creative, but also it's just like, so just the sweat that goes into planning all of that. 
that. And and they rarely miss in a very obvious and embarrassing way, you know, like rarely is there like a play at the plate and suddenly you're like watching the left fielder or something, you know, like <laughs> that, that never really happens, you know? I mean, occasionally a, a camera person will, you know, have the wrong ankle and will like pan up and make you think that a ball is gone and then it's not right like the the Mike Piazza but but not often and rarely are they like totally in the wrong place at the wrong time so I'm just I'm very impressed with everything they do hey I uh I'm running out of time okay, okay. do you want to you want the record do, you want to do your your last pick then uh do I have to have a last pick do I <laughs> what if what if I only had two picks then would people still like me yeah <laughs> They'd feel cheated of of their <laughs> Stan Miller, but I'm, I'll say my think. last pick is that I recently learned that it used to be that when an umpire couldn't work the game uh, because either the umpire got sick or the umpire passed out from heat exhaustion or the umpires plural didn't show up to the game because of transportation issues, the players would simply do the umpiring uh, themselves, yeah. uh, and that I mean you're you're thinking. Oh man, 1887 sure was weird. But no, this happened like up to kind of World War II ish, a lot less common in the 20th century, but it did happen. I had Dan Hirsch pull uh, all the player umpire. Oh, I get what I don't know what you'd call them players who umped. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't call them that. That's actually a very clear sequence of words. Uh, only. And uh, there are. Um, Basically, like, I, you know, in the 20th century, maybe like 100 players who did this. And um, uh, the the most famous of these situations was Jocko Conlon, who was a player, a major league player who made his debut at age 34 and was just kind of hanging on as a pinch hitter and pinch runner in his second season. And the umpire, it was 114 degrees. The umpire collapsed or something like that. And so they said, yeah we need someone and he said can i do it and they said sure and he's like i liked that and he uh, almost immediately after retired from playing baseball became an umpire and made the hall of fame as an umpire (laughs) he's like maybe one of the i don't know three most famous umpires in history and uh he uh i I don't i think for some reason maybe i was reading his wikipedia page and that is how i learned about this uh this custom of letting the uh, the teams choose an umpire to replace the the ump, uh, and th- what I'm actually getting to here is that the according to this Wikipedia description, it, the custom of the time was to pick an umpire from the players who was seen as trustworthy, who was seen as a trustworthy person, and I just think that like MVP award, Cy Young award, chosen by the other team to ump. Those are like, to me, comparable accomplishments in one's career and life. (laughs) Like what a great tribute that the other team's like, we trust him. He can ump. Mm -hmm. So this list that I have that Dan Hirsch sent me of a hundred names, I look at it and I really kind of admire these old, old dead people. I, every once in a while, uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've just picked one of these names at random and gone and read their, their page, their saber bio. And like, Mm -hmm. Almost without fail. There's one example that that I found that it was just sort of a normal, average kind of jerk. But mostly, they're <laughs> mostly these are the, like the bi- the saber bios really point out. Like, so remember our friend uh, Freddie Fitzsimmons, Ben? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Freddie Fitzsimmons was uh, up, up was, to lunch when when next were when next were being was was that him? 
Or did that come up in the same episode? But I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Out to lunch when next were being handed out. That's right. Uh, so Freddie Fitzsimmons was chosen to be an umpire one day. And here's his saber bio. Humble, approachable, and outgoing, Fitzsimmons avoided the nightlife New York City offered and neither drank nor smoked cigarettes. He was seen constantly with his wife, Helen, whom he met while playing in Indianapolis, described by the Sporting News as the most devoted couple in the majors. The Fitzsimmons had one child, also named Helen. During the offseason, they lived on a farm in Arcadia where they raised chickens in prosaic surroundings. Later, they moved to Yucca Valley, north of Palm Springs. Quote, there isn't a finer character in baseball, wrote nationally syndicated columnist Dan Daniel, offering perhaps the greatest compliment to Fitzsimmons. And there isn't a more straightforward hombre pitching, catching, <laughs> batting, or doing anything in this grand game of ours. And like every one of these names I look up, the bio has got like some paragraph of Dan Daniel being like, I never met a nicer man. Like honestly, I, I know I said a couple years ago about Freddie Fitzsimmons, but like, uh, you know. Great player and even better person. But like, I really got to tell you, Cliff Blankenship, even better. Like they just, like all these guys turn out to be really nice guys, it seems like. So I like that. And then the last thing that I like about this is that these players are deemed to be trustworthy enough to ump, right? But I have noticed, I've looked up a ton of these box scores. These were two two ump crews and one ump is unavailable and they replace with a, a, a player. But they, in almost every case, replace with two players. So mm. trustworthy but only up to a point. Like they hedge, these teams hedge. They said, you, one of yours, one of ours. Yeah, I, I like the the thing they did in spring training this year when they played the bottom of the ninth and the umpires left and they just had the catcher call the pitches, yeah. which was kind of like your idea for for not having a strike zone or, or just having players decide what the strike zone is that or is whatever. That is not what? That's not my idea. That is the opposite of my idea. What was, what was it? It was... Umpire... <laughs> Still have an umpire. It's just okay. instead of a defined strike zone because they don't stick to it anyway by design. Yeah. Although more and more, it's this idea right. is becoming slightly outdated. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, instead of a defined strike zone, the umpire simply rules whether it was a fair pitch, whether, mm. whether it's uh-huh. a fair pitch. Okay. All right. So I assume that that Jeff is going to draft Bud Selig for designating <laughs> Rob Manfred as his successor, so that he could then create the pitch clock. Am I right? Is Jeff still here? (laughs) Yeah, I'm watching our game because this has been going for a while. But as a a completely unrelated uh, fun fact, the White Sox manager was just ejected in the first inning. And yesterday he was ejected in the eighth inning. So that's two ejections within three innings for a team's manager. Haven't seen that one before. Beautiful. Uh, I was going to draft watching Pedro Baez in the playoffs because I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back and allowed for the implementation of the pitch clock into Major League Baseball. Yeah. Yeah. What? What about my article, Jeff? What about oh, yeah. my contributions to the pitch clock? Yeah, I know. Walking by us was, was, was miserable. And uh, I remember making a, a gif of, of John Lack. He just kind of like making faces for like uh, two and a half minutes. I think he threw one pitch in the middle of it uh, uh, for a while in the playoffs. And, and that's the stuff that uh, we'll only now see in the World Baseball Classic. I'm drafting Grant's article that just directed the course of the conversation and established without any doubt that it was the time between pitches that was causing games to be longer. Thank you, Grant, for giving us the pitch clock. Damn Skippy. I I like watching baseball in ballparks that are mostly empty of spectators. Um, so that's one that I was going to pick. I like it when fans misjudge home runs. 
and they aren't home runs actually, which is sort of a variation on a theme. So it's good to do it as a lightning round pick. Cause it's like <laughs> half a pick really. Um, I like how baseball keeps trying to be like cool and it's always failing at being cool, but then sometimes it'll, it'll like be cool on accident. And it's just like, it's like a middle schooler. It's like relax and just like live your life. And then the cool will find you or not. But like, if you keep trying, it's going to go badly for you. So I like, I, <laughs> baseball is poochy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like City Connects, the Trident, the, like the, all the home run celebrations. I think, I think we're trying too hard. Just like uh, relax, let your shoulders drop. It's it's fine, you know. Um, so I I like I like that. And again, I would I would like the kissing if there were kissing, but there is no kissing. But, but not just to try to be cool. Right. Yeah. Like again, it because you be genuinely want to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sam, do, do the home run celebrations fit into the genre of baseball players trying to be funny, or do you not see it as a an attempt to be funny, just an attempt to build team spirit or celebrate? Did Sam leave? <laughs> Sam. Sam. Just, Sam. <laughs> I still see a. I still. See. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> I think he. I think he muted himself. He may have so that muted. He could just bounce. That was, he, that was uh, polite. You know, he just he let us keep talking, and he just sidled out. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. that was How a very that? Sam exit. I think that was quintessentially Sam. That that was the way he went out. All right. So, <laughs> uh, Grant, did you have any last one that you wanted to say? Uh, yeah, I'll just do a quick one about how much Ted Williams loved his bats. Mm. Like he mm-hmm. loved his bats. He didn't have roommates on the road. <laughs> he would just sit with his bats and he, that doesn't, that's not even a joke. He would just be in his hotel room, honing his bats with a bone, just getting the wood the way he liked it. When he would wipe away the dust and rosin, he would weigh his bats on his own scale. This is like, I'm reading this straight from a a book uh, excerpt uh, about Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams. Uh, Before every game, he would stand in front of a large hotel mirror, usually wearing only an undershirt and his underwear, swinging a bat. Quote, he wanted to see how he looked with the bat in his hands because he had to look good. This is My name is Ted Effin Williams. I'm the greatest hitter in baseball. He would declare through clenched teeth. He'd swing the bat and repeat his mantra. My name is Ted Effin Williams, and I'm the greatest hitter in baseball. In a mirror, in his underwear. I love that. End quote. Well, no, uh, the end quote came before I love that. That's me saying, as Grant, I love that. But yeah, no, he was just a, a true, true nut. And I, I really appreciate that. Wow. That was very erotic. You definitely couldn't have a roommate for any of that. Yeah. You need privacy. Yeah. No, <laughs> they, they needed some alone time. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't say effing. He said the whole <laughs> yeah. thing. He said the whole thing? Wow. Yeah. Thing. I guess that's uh, Ichiro-esque. I don't, I don't know whether Ichiro was as physically affectionate with the bats, but he had his whole you know science of storage and the humidity and just getting it down to the ounce and the subset of an ounce. So yeah, players and bats, some of them lick their bats and, and kiss their bats, and they may not kiss other mm-hmm. players in public, See? but they're not afraid of PDA with their bats. Again, I, only if they want to. Well, this is not pressure. I, I will say that it like kissing a, a, a bat is I would have picked when you see players occasionally like pick something out of the pine tar and put it in their mouth. Have you ever seen that? Mm, yeah. Like some some players will just like pick a piece of pine tar off the bat and put it in their mouth. Uh, I would have drafted that if I thought ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, my last pick was going to be, and I guess still is, Jeff King. I don't know whether you all recall Jeff King, but my last pick for for why we like baseball draft is is Jeff King not liking baseball, actually, or at least being perceived not to like baseball. 
and despite not particularly caring for baseball, was a pretty successful baseball player, which I think is really interesting. Jeff King was the number one overall amateur draft pick by the Pirates in 1986, and he got 11 years in the big leagues, and he hit 154 dingers, and he was worth 17 war, like a pretty decent player. Maybe not all you hope for from a number one pick, but but he lasted. He had a career, and he had the talent to get drafted first overall in the first place. And a lot of accounts say that he just did not enjoy baseball very much and eventually walked away, much like Sam Miller did on this podcast, just <laughs> just, just decided to, that, that he was done with the sport. At Joe Posnanski, who covered him, he wrote something some years ago for Pitchers and Poets about just reminiscing about Jeff King. And Posnanski said, best I could tell, Jeff King did not like playing baseball. I can never remember seeing a player who seemed so miserable on a baseball diamond. He said, I'm not kidding about how much he disliked the game. His manager in Kansas City, Tony Muser, used to tell a story about how he heard King moaning one day about the national anthem. Muser, a former Marine, was shocked, but King explained, every time they play this song, I have a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) Very dark, very sad story. I also, I don't know if I believe that he said that because when I searched on newspapers.com, that was a story that Jim Leland told Mm. in 1986 about Mm. a player, an unnamed Mm. player who said that to Jim Leland that year. And then he said it again in 1987 that a a player the previous year had said exactly that. Every time they play that song, I have a bad day. And that was before King was was drafted and was a pirate. So either Muser is, is conflating a couple guys or they independently said the same thing about not liking the national anthem and having a bad day. Or maybe Jeff King, who was on the Pirates subsequently, like heard that story from Jim Lewin was like, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to start saying that myself. Anyway, I don't think he coined it. But the first one to, to say it was Mark Twain. But people <laughs> right. forget yes. that he actually took it from Benjamin. Uh, yeah, it's a long often yeah. misattributed. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. But but Pazinski said it. Uh, he so King just he walked away on May 21st, 1999. He suddenly and shockingly retired. Posnitsky put it, and he just uh, went away to his ranch in Montana, and Posnitsky said it didn't make a lot of sense unless you realized how much he despised playing professional baseball. He couldn't (laughs) wait to get out. Later, someone told me that he had, only the day before he retired, secured enough service time to guarantee his MLB pension. Mm. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. That's third hand. That's hearsay. And also, he walked away from like $3 million. So I don't, if he just was in it for the money, then he could have stayed and collected the $3 million and not worried about the pension. But anyway, I think it's fascinating that perhaps a player might not have liked baseball and still would have made it to the pinnacle of their sport and lasted that long. And you can find like throughout Jeff King's career, like there were stories about him not really liking baseball that much. Like in 1989, here's a story. Jeff King went one for three, drove in four runs and scored another in the Buffalo Bisons 6-3 victory over the Denver Zephyrs. So Tuesday was not the worst day of his life. As of Tuesday, Jeff King had no plans to quit baseball, but today is another day. That was 1989. He didn't leave until 1999, but it's all about like he just, you know, he's not into it. And I think, though, the thing is that I don't know whether he was just misunderstood because it seems to me that he he put a lot of pressure on himself and that maybe that's why he didn't enjoy it. Like in 1989, he said, 
King has become so obsessed with meeting expectations, his expectations, he often denies himself the joy of playing. That's my biggest struggle, having fun at the game. When I'm not doing as well as I can do, it's not any fun. I probably had fun at more times this season. And then, like uh, his manager, Terry Collins, says in spring training, I wasn't sure he wanted to play bad enough, but now I think he wants to play. I think he likes to play. <laughs> he sounded surprised that he said he, he's been impressive at the plate. If we can get him to keep wanting to play, he's going to make it. <laughs> so wow. it was just all about, like, can we persuade him to to keep playing this game that he is very good at? And he was criticized by some for walking away. Like I, I found a St. Louis Post-Dispatch column in May of 99 that said he was nuts and called him crazy for walking away, even though Mike Sweeney, who was one of the players who helped replace him, said it shows he's a man. He could have continued to play the next four and a half months and taken a paycheck every two weeks and not had his heart in the game. But Jeff is a man of integrity. And for him to walk away like this proves that he's a man of integrity. And, you know, they, they said like at his press conference where he announced his retirement, he, he teared up a little bit. So even if he was looking forward to retiring, there was some part of him that was conflicted about this, too. So I like the story of Jeff King, regardless of your interpretation. If he actually didn't like baseball and he was that good at it then that's kind of incredible because, you know, we just sort of assume that everyone would like it. Of course, why wouldn't you like it? And if you're that good at it, then you must like it, but not necessarily, you know, so you can get tired of of anything. So I kind of like it if that's the interpretation. And I also kind of like it if, in fact, he was just misunderstood all along. And it was just that he had anxiety and he put yeah. so much pressure on himself that he couldn't enjoy it because he really wanted to succeed. So it wasn't that he didn't care. It was that he cared too much. And in fact, he said that in a 2020 article, he said, I think people misunderstood me thinking maybe I didn't care because I didn't throw my bat or my helmet if I made an out. But I think my problem was maybe I cared too much. So maybe he was misunderstood. And, and I like that, too, because sometimes uh, like I'm not the most uh, like expressive person with my face, I think. And so sometimes I'll, I'll look. Well, we have to balance each other out, Ben. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but 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 sometimes I'll look blasé about something. And actually, I'm having a great time and I'm, I'm quite happy. And someone will be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing, nothing. I feel great. This is, But I'm not conveying that, I guess, effusively enough. So I sympathize with Jeff King, who maybe was having a good time sometimes, but just didn't look like he was. So Jeff King was drafted first overall in 1986. And yeah. I wonder, so let's say, I don't know, whatever, pick the guy who's going to be drafted first overall the next year. And you're the team and you're you're scouting him and you are like, okay, this guy's clearly the most talented player in the draft and we're going to take him first overall. And then you get to know him and you talk to his family and the people around him and you find out, okay, talent is the same. This dude hates baseball. <laughs> right. do, do, you, do you draft him? <sighs> Well, when King retired, Poznanski wrote, he could have been a better baseball player. There's no doubt about that. He had the eye, the legs, the strength, and scouts will tell you that if he had the heart, he could have been a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, maybe makeup matters, but there have been worse first overall picks who probably liked baseball better. And by the time he retired, his career was winding down anyway, and he had some back issues, but it took him a while to get established. And probably part of that was that, as he acknowledged, he was just too much of a perfectionist. Terry Collins said one day he went three for four and hit nothing but rockets and the next day he went 0 for four and changed where his hands were on the bat but Poznanski wrote he threw his guts and his back into the game but he never had the love it was a job for him if he could have put a time clock by his locker he would have done just that 
And as King himself said, playing the game for money is not the right reason. He'd been thinking for a while about retiring and Muser talked him into staying. And King said, it's the baseball mentality. You play when you're hurt. You play regardless unless you're about to die. I'm ready for life after baseball. There is more to life than baseball. I'm finding myself looking forward to other things. Not everyone can be a, they'll have to tear the uniform off my back guy. Some guys will willingly take the uniform off. I will just say that every word that I type erodes my soul a little <laughs> bit. Like I am not especially fond of writing. So I empathize and I say, yeah, go for it. Draft him. He's still going to, he's still going to make it. Yeah. Jeff Sullivan walked away from, from writing entirely. Eventually. Yeah, he did. <laughs> didn't, didn't leave anyone high and dry on, on a podcast or a, a website or anything. Just, I'm not sure I could be any happier. <laughs> that's the that's the venom that you hear in the voice of someone that's got to edit Michael Bauman. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing Mikey. Yeah. Bauman's right. an easy edit. Did we ever get resolution on if Adam Dunn hated baseball or if that was just a rumor? I don't know. <laughs> also, no, I, I feel like there's been a helicopter over my house for the last like 20 minutes. So I think they are also worried about my cat. Who could say? <laughs> yeah. But not everyone can love it, right? I mean, just no. uh, the odds, the percentages. Uh, like, probably you'd think everyone would have to love it to to be dedicated enough to make it, but not necessarily. I like yeah. when when athletes uh, can come out and admit something like that. Or like, did you all see Giannis when the Bucks lost and yeah. the reporter asked them if the season was a failure and he had this great thoughtful answer? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year, somebody else is gonna win. Similar as that. We're gonna come back next year. Try to be better. Try to build good habits. Try to um, play better. Not have a ten day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball. You know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. He actually like showed his human side and and uh, many players would just be conditioned to be like, yeah, it's a failure if we don't win. You know, like you're expected to say that. And if you don't say that, then someone will jump on you and say you don't want it enough. But no, of course, it's not a failure. It can't be everyone failing except one single team. And not everyone can love what they do at all times. So you can be good at something without necessarily having it be a dream come true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like writing. I'm, I, I just <laughs> okay. don't want to give the impression that I don't like writing. Good. It's just a joke. <laughs> I don't want you to retire. Although, I mean, Jeff King, I, I think he had more kids than you have. <laughs> I know, I know you've got a bunch of them. Get but, on it, uh, Grant. Jeez. Yeah. He had, uh, I think he had seven. So that's, that's a, a lot. Of, that's wow. a lot of kids. That feels that like too many kids. That feels yeah, like he, a lot of kids. You know, as someone with none, it feels like too, maybe too many. Maybe, but I guess it was just enough for him. So he walked away so he could keep having kids. And then as of a couple of years ago, he had five grandchildren and he fishes and he enjoys uh, the wide open spaces of Montana. And I guess maybe he has that pension too. So not a terrible life for Jeff King. 
right now, Zach Eflin yeah. and Lucas Giolito were going head to head. And five days ago, the Zach Eflin and Lucas Giolito also went head to head in a, in a game at the drop. That game was over in two hours and two minutes. And this podcast is going to go for fucking longer than that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, right. Well, we'll we'll quit while we're ahead, and the Rays are behind the White Sox. You know what? I'm going to just wager right now that that doesn't hold up. We'll see if I'm right when this podcast is published. <laughs> I'm not allowed to wager. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you, those of you who are still here. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Grant. (laughs) You're welcome. Actually, I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four four more things to drop in order. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Meg must have several left. Yeah, I I have a bunch left, but we can save them for the- Yeah, for episode 2500. (laughs) Wow, wow. If we're all still alive and podcasting, we will reconvene (laughs) then. So don't forget, all of you will die eventually thank you thank you jeff uh good luck winning 130 games or whatever you're yeah. on pace for i guess i guess you're superstitious now that you work for a baseball team so you can't even acknowledge that i said that i think no because the and, other day my lucky sweatshirt lost for the first time this season What? <laughs> i tell you what if you if you want to load up on like a specific team's gear it might be less expensive to go through the process of going of like getting a job with that team instead of like buying it all for yourself because <laughs> oh, they'll yeah. just give it to you. It's yeah. like it's take. I had a lot of clothes before, but it's like half of of everything that I I own now. Like I'll go on a work <laughs> trip and then I'll have to, have to come back with like a different suitcase. It's but like what I also don't get is they give a lot of like like sweatshirts, right, and like long sleeve and like thick yeah. stuff. And I, I mean, not every team is in Florida, but the one that I'm with is, and it's yeah. a weird, it's a weird kind of promotion uh, <laughs> that right. they do. Cause like there's Columbia fishing gear, everybody where they should just, well, I don't need to, you're not branding people, but in any case, we don't all need sweatshirts. Although I guess I specifically do. The Tampa Bay Rays sent me a DJ kitty onesie once, <laughs> and I still have that. So they're just giving this stuff out. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> if not enough fans come to the ballpark for the giveaways, they just send it. They just mail it to people. <laughs> They really did. I have it. How did they get your address? <laughs> yeah, like I said, I want one Jeff, on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I said, "What's your address?" Oh, oh, okay. Jeff, so I, I thought like, Jeff gave it to them as a prank. It wasn't like creepy. It was. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what the blue check used to give you. You know what, <laughs> yeah. I mean? you know what I'm yeah. saying, people? There used to be some perks. They thought I it was know, important. It's never mm-hmm. verified. Anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. That a good Sam? Spot on. All right. I hope you enjoyed that blast from the podcast past with Sam and Jeff. And now I will leave you with a past blast from Major League Baseball and from the year 2000. This comes from our frequent past blast consultant, David Lewis, who is an architectural historian and baseball researcher based in Boston. And he writes, investigating juicing in baseball. At the beginning of the 2000 MLB season, baseball seemed to be flying off of hitters' bats. In April alone, a then-record 931 homers were belted for an average of 2.56 per game. By mid-May, many began to take notice. 
Jim Sherwood, a mechanical engineering professor at the University of Massachusetts Lowell, decided to get to the bottom of this phenomenon through scientific experimentation. In a series of experiments commissioned by Major League Baseball, Sherwood focused on the baseball itself, testing to see if it met the specifications established by MLB's rulebook. Explaining the inspiration for his experiment, Sherwood said, As a fan, it's exciting to see the home runs, but I guess you want to see the integrity of the game maintained as it had been in the past. We're going to answer whether the ball is part of the problem or not, whether it's hotter than it's supposed to be. As part of the investigation, an unnamed team of baseball officials traveled to Costa Rica to tour the factory of Rawlings, the league's official ball manufacturer. Sherwood reportedly could not disclose his testing methods, but spoke of the difficulties in comparing a new ball to one produced even a few years prior. The material of the baseballs change. Temperature and humidity, these affect the ball. You can't really go backwards unless we find some preserved baseballs. We're starting to track a history of the baseball. Sherwood's study, completed and released in June 2000, found that while balls were lively, they remained within the legal limits established by Major League Baseball. Another explanation would have to be found for the rise in home runs, David writes. Though I am not convinced. I've talked about this before. I've written about this before. I think the ball had a lot to do with the offensive environment and the number of home runs hit during the PED era. We could call it the PED era or the steroid era because of the way that PED has shaped the culture of baseball and the history of baseball and the coverage of baseball. But I don't think they explain as much of the uptick in offense as people believe. Back then, they were not testing the drag of the baseball, which is what has produced a lot of the uptick in home runs in recent years. And as we know, that lively ball, the low drag ball, that alone was sufficient to produce higher home run rates than we saw in the PD era. And that was many years after testing was implemented. So the ball alone can account for a lot of that. And there was a very sudden uptick in home runs and scoring around 93, 94 that would be tough to explain, I think, without the ball playing a part. Not saying PDs had no effect. You can see some PD artifacts too in aging patterns and outliers in the league. But I think the ball had a whole lot to do with it. It's one of my strong, uncommon beliefs about Major League Baseball. I laid it all out in an article at The Ringer a few years ago, so I will link to that on the show page. If you're not convinced, give me a chance to convince you. So that was Y2K. Thank you for listening to EW2K. Thanks to those of you who are listening to us for the first time. Thanks to those of you who've listened to all 2,000 episodes. I can't believe this thing is still going, and it is a credit to our listeners and particularly our Patreon supporters. I actually floated the idea with Meg. Maybe we should do some sort of funding drive. Try to drum up some new Patreon support on the occasion of our 2,000th episode. We're a few hundred Patreon supporters short of 2,000, so I thought maybe we could do a 2,000 for 2,000 drive. And then we didn't do anything with that idea, because for one thing, we couldn't really think of any additional incentive to subscribe. Any extra perks that we could do or would do that we don't already offer. And so, without any clever new inducements, we didn't do a campaign. But if you've been listening for a long time and you want to mark this occasion by tossing a couple coins into our hats as a lifetime achievement award, we would be grateful. And it would help us continue to do what we do for many episodes to come. But it is the community and the feedback and the conversation with all of you that has kept us going for so long. That's what makes this worthwhile. And yeah, the Patreon support doesn't hurt either. So you can go to patreon.com slash effectively wild, sign up and pledge some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going. Thank us for keeping it going this long. Help us stay almost entirely ad free. And of course, get yourself access to some perks. And the following five listeners have already done so. Jeff Hawk, Austin Hoffman, Mary Lelko, Larry Hall, and Peter Clemens. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the wonderful Effectively Wild Discord group, as well as access to monthly bonus episodes, one of which we will be recording this weekend, plus playoff live streams and discounts on ad-free memberships and merch and so much more. Patreon.com slash Effectively Wild. That will do it for today.
today and for this week. Gratifying that we can end this milestone week on a multiple of five, just as we used to years ago. Oh, and hey, I guess we should mention to head off some emails. Billy Preston did play on some songs on Abbey Road, just not on the medley. Gotta give him credit for that. Gotta give the Rays credit too, because my wager would have worked out. They did come back and beat the White Sox. Who else could have foreseen that? If you are a Patreon supporter, you can message us through the Patreon site. If not, you can contact us via email at podcast.fangraphs.com. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash effectively wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. A positive iTunes review would be another nice way to give us a little pat on the back. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod. You can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we will be back to talk to you early next week. Ben isn't here, and we're lacking production. So this is me singing you the introduction. The fact that we Ben isn't here, and we're lacking production. So this is me singing you the introduction. I would forward you a game report and so you can see the 110 pages that arrive every morning. Oh, please do. I would love to. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, if you could, that would be swell. Can you actually just send them every day? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but I'll send only the game report for our complex league. Oh, no. How's everyone doing? Pretty good. How are wow. you? Great. Answer at the same time. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> All right. I guess we should start so Jeff can go back to reading complex league reports. I didn't think I got a satisfactory answer to how Sam is doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, the same. Great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We did it. The one that I was going to draft and didn't draft was, uh, was, was Catcher Empire Politics because it's kind of funny Ooh. that they like think that yeah. that's something where they have to have an angle like what what you don't know because the cameras don't show it but like do the people on the bases like do they greet the umpires also oh mm. i gotta go because there really are helicopters in a way that makes me think there's like a murderer in my neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> you're probably okay. in the safest place you can be but good luck